Welcome to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in today. We have another wonderful guest tonight. Before we introduce our guest, I published this book called A Gift from Adversity in 2020. Subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. It's available on Amazon and then a lot of platforms. I published this book because I was a guest speaker for many occasions and then a lot of people asked me, do you have a book? And I didn't. So now I do have the book and I got a lot of great reviews and also some voices that are from around the world sharing their adversities. And I felt compelled to start a platform where it's safe that people can talk about adversities. But not only that, to share the tools and a gift that came from it. So today I would like to invite Dr. Catherine Tumor. Hello. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. Great. So now I would like to start with you introducing yourself, including your name and then what you do, and then okay. our audience. All right. Well, uh, my name is Dr. Catherine Toomer. I am a family medicine physician and the founder of Health Wellness and Weight Loss Centers. And what I do is I help people who feel sick and tired and uh, who are sick and tired of feeling sick and tired feel well, especially if they're overwhelmed like I was. It was a, it was a program that came out of my own um, health issues. And I created something that helped me get better. And now I help other people do the same. So is there any website or social media that people can find out about uh, what you do? Yes, I um, my website is drtumor.com. And that's D-R-T-O-O-M-E-R.com. I'm on Facebook as C. Harmon Tumor, M.D., and LinkedIn is a good place to find me also, which is Katherine Hartman Tumor MD as well. Thank you very much for that. So let's jump in to our main topic, which is adversity. So would you please tell our audience what was your greatest adversity? There are a couple. Um, well, the, I would say the first one was when I was in a severe car accident, a head-on collision in, um, in 1988. And at the moment of impact, I wasn't sure if I was going to survive. I, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to survive. And I remembered my future flashing before my eyes. Some people say your life flashes before your eyes, but for me, it was my future. And the two things that just flashed uh, came up was that I would never have children and I would never go to medical school. I'd never become a doctor. And those were the two things that just sort of, um, that came to me at that moment. And um, 
what ended up happening is my, my, fortunately I had a seatbelt on that saved my life, but, and I was in another country at the time, but what happened, I, my face was completely disfigured. Um, you can't really see it here, but I have a scar that kind of goes from here and it kind of goes all the way to there. And um, so I had a pretty severe uh, head injury and I was 25 at the time. And so, as you can imagine, you know, being young and, you know, single college student, and then suddenly my face was just disfigured. And so that was very traumatic. I would say the second thing that happened that also uh, was very difficult was when um, I was, it was 21 years ago, a month after my daughter was born, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure from pregnancy. And at the time was given a 50% chance of living five years. And I had a newborn and a toddler and had to fight my way back from that as well, because you just sort of, your whole life just goes. I mean, everything I knew, everything that I was used to was suddenly taken away from me. And I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything on my own. I couldn't breathe. Um, I needed help to do everything, to bathe, um, to take care of my children, to take care of everything of myself. Uh, um, I just couldn't do anything other than rest. And, um, and that was difficult as well. But I would say those are probably, and then, you know, of course, um, um, grief is always a difficult thing, but that's, you know, it's not so much, I mean, we all, we all experience that at some point, you know, death of siblings was my biggest, I would say. Um, I lost both of my brothers uh, very young. And so that's also something that um, also weighs heavily on me. But all of those things, again, as you talk about, um, you know, adversity, being a gift, all of those things did lead to things that have enhanced my life very much. Well, so there are three parts to this show, which is first to share the adversity. And then the next part mm -hmm. is to give a tool that worked for you. And then the last mm -hmm. part is a gift that came from it. So I want to focus a little bit more about your adversity. I know you shared a lot in a few minutes mm -hmm. and each of these adversities, it's just so significant. First of all, when you are in your twenties and your car accident and your facial structure changes and mm -hmm. how did it, how was it like to experience that at such a young age? in your like 20s and mm. your self-esteem all that stuff what it did initially was it gave me focus um i just felt that if i got through this or what if i got through it i would focus on the things that i that came to me when at that moment and that was to get into medical school and the other was to um, create a life that I could bring a family into. I didn't know how I was going to do the second one because, of course, I was 25. You know, I wasn't dating. I was, you know, still in school. And so, um, so I focused on 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 getting into medical school. But one of the things that I realized rather quickly is that I lost some language skills. Um, at the first, initially, I couldn't read at all because my face was too swollen and I couldn't see. 
But then uh, slowly as the swelling went down, it became very clear that I was having some difficulty with language. And um, fortunately that slowly came back, but initially that scared me quite a bit because I thought that my dream of going to medical school was gonna be, was gone. What helped me the most, I would say, was actually my mother. Um, I'm an avid reader. And usually when I can't do anything else, I read. And in this situation, I couldn't because I couldn't really see. My face was too swollen. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't really hold a book very well. Um, I had severe headaches, and so it was difficult to concentrate. But what she did was sit with me for hours and hours and hours, and she just talked to me. So instead of me having to read stories, she would tell me stories. So, I mean, she told me her whole life story from when she was a child, every memory she could think of, no matter how little the details she would tell me. And it just filled up the days until I was able to get to a point where I was able to move around. I was able to see. And then, um, and so one of the things that it gave me also was that it gave me something to focus on. And my appreciation for my mother doing that was um, actually later, my mother is in a, a service sorority that um, for black women, and she has six daughters uh, and none of us had pledged her sorority. And so I told myself if I went, if I got better and I was able to go back to school, that that's what I would do for her um, to carry on her legacy. And so that gave me something else to focus on. And so what I found was just, Having something to focus on and plan helped me tremendously. As long as I could focus on a plan, I didn't focus on the things that I couldn't change. And that was my appearance. I couldn't do anything about that. Yes, that's really tough situation. And then how wonderful your mom to be there for you and then tell stories to you when you couldn't read. And um, I know you mentioned the second adversity, which was the conjunctive heart failure, and you had small ones to take care for. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't even imagine how it felt like. Can you recall what you felt when you couldn't? That, um, what it did was actually created something like a post-traumatic stress reaction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I couldn't breathe. That. that that's a, a feeling I wouldn't wish on anyone. And it feels like drowning from the inside, essentially. And that's exactly what it is. My lungs were filling up with fluid and I couldn't get oxygen. And having, at that point, I was already a physician. I had already seen what my diagnosis was. I had lost patience with my diagnosis. I knew the mortality rate. I knew that what my chances were. And so I was terrified. And I'm looking at my two and a half year old and my newborn who's a month old the medication I was had to be given to treat it, I couldn't breastfeed. I was breastfeeding at the time. And so I was breastfeeding my baby on the way to the hospital, to the emergency room, because I had no formula. I had no nothing for her because I, it was, I wasn't expecting it to happen. And I would say that it's, it, it's terrifying. I was, I was genuinely terrified because I didn't think I was going to survive. In fact, in fact, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to survive. Um, and, um, and my husband's also a physician. He knew the statistics, so I could see the fear in his face. And 
you know, so I had a, a hungry baby, a scared husband, <laughs> terrified myself. And, you know, and a two and a half year old, I'm worried that, you know, she won't have a mother. And so um, it's it, it still now, 21 years later, there are things I still react to. Um, there's still things that my family reacts to. Um, you know, if, if, if I don't answer a call, if someone calls me three times in a row and I don't answer, they panic. Even though I'm fine now, even, I mean, I still have, you know, congestive heart failure, but I'm able to function quite well, but it still scares everyone. And that's something that has never gone away. It's, it's just incredible as a mother delivering the baby and then having this um, complication is mm -hmm. really not understood that a lot of people experience. And I had experienced, unfortunately, um, just to share with the audience um, that my daughter, uh, I had a problem with the placenta previa and mm -hmm. I had to do um, epidural, which didn't work. So I had to go to general anesthesia for this section. And mm. unfortunately, they kind of messed up and then poked a hole in my spinal cord. And then four days after my daughter was gone, I was unconscious and they had to take my blood out and then do the, this um, blood punch through the spinal cord so that mm. I was able to solve because I was losing my spinal fluid um, had a leakage. So it was really crazy experience and you know i didn't even have a chance to think about the future because i was so much pain and yeah. you know but after that i had a severe pain and then i just think about these you know process of getting pregnant and delivering the mm -hmm. baby and then having this complication like we go through a lot as a mom yes. <laughs> not only raising yes. yes but i'm very happy that um, you got the right treatment and then you were mm -hmm. able to survive that and then be able to now help other people. So yes. let's actually switch about the tools. You mentioned some of the tools mm -hmm. to overcome these adversities, but I want to focus on specific tools that you have used to overcome those adversities. The point is, that we have internet these days that you can you know browse youtube and coping skills read book therapy but i want to hear from the real guest who went through the adversity and then how they survived using specific tools that you can share the guest can share with our audience so what would you say the tools that you have thought that was very, very helpful and tangible? Well, I focused on the things I could change. Um, at the time, especially when my, my um, when I was diagnosed with uh, pregnancy-related congestive heart failure, at the time I was obese. I was on insulin as a diabetic. And so, and then I was diagnosed with my heart condition and I knew there was nothing I could do about my heart. So I decided I was gonna focus on trying to lose weight and trying to get off insulin and get my diabetes under control. Those were things as a physician I could focus on and I could do something about, but I still needed help. And I had difficulty finding help because 
my heart condition was rather relatively rare. And so a lot of physicians didn't want to touch anything. They didn't want to change anything else. There's like, let's take care of your heart first and we'll worry about everything else later. But I knew my heart wouldn't get better as long as I was carrying around. It had to do too much work because of other things. Um, But even when looking at my toddler and my newborn, I still had no motivation. I couldn't bring myself to do the things I knew I needed to do you know, the, the, the different activities that I knew would help. I just completely shut down. And I realized that not only did I have, I knew I had, you know, mild depression before, but post, but when adding postpartum depression on top of that, it was almost impossible for me to function. And so that's actually where I started. I started treating my depression first and I went on medication. And once that was effective, it made it much easier for me then to start focusing on the other things I needed to do. Because one thing that, um, you know, any physician can tell you when someone's depressed, their motivation just goes and people want to say you're lazy or they want to say that you're inconsiderate. Or you want to, and it really just your brain neurochemistry, just not doing what it's supposed to do. And it just shuts everything down. Wow. Well, as a doctor yourself, you can kind of diagnose yourself and then see these kind of things that would help. And then as being a doctor, do you think that knowledge and then the practice helped you to get through this faster than maybe if you're not a doctor? It's hard to say, one, because I don't know what uh, would have happened if I hadn't (laughs) been. But I can tell you it scared me a lot more. I couldn't pretend, you know, there's, there's different phases that you go through and you do go through a grief process because you, you lose certain things, you know, your life will never be the same. So you lose the expectations of, you know, your future and all those things. But I didn't have the luxury of denial. I, I just couldn't, you know, and that's usually what protects a lot of people. They can just deny that something's happening or they can go into a place where they can, you know, talk themselves into, as we, we call it, um, wishing away pathology. You can just sort of say, that's ah, not so bad. You know, you're, you know, you'll be fine, but I knew better. And so I didn't have that luxury. And so I think actually being in medicine on one hand helped me advocate for myself a lot better, but it didn't allow me that denial cushion of being able to pretend that things were better than they actually were. Well, we have a live audience comment saying amazing and fascinating. Please write an article on this as a doctor. I, I definitely will. I have, um, I haven't published it, but I have, I do a lot of writing. So you're, well, thank you for that. I, I will um, definitely start getting more stuff out there. It might be interesting how what you said about if you're not a doctor, maybe you can have, oh, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not that bad. But as a doctor, you know what's going on. And then that adds more. And then I think that might be interesting perspective to hear from the doctor who went through that condition. And that might help some people get through it too. Yeah. And, and interestingly, when you say, you know, how, how do I cope? I, I do cope by writing, but I do find that when I write for other people, it brings back a lot of those initial feelings and it's very difficult. 
And so that often brings it back to the surface. And so, um, and I think that that, and which is what tells me more that I really need to be writing and doing more things because um, what I ended up doing was channeling it all into a business mm-hmm. and focusing on other people's you know, fears, other people feeling overwhelmed, other people feeling terrified because of a diagnosis and then helping them as a way of coping with my own issues which I think a lot of us do in general. We just tend to volunteer. We do other things. We just tend to help other people as a way of sort of coping with anything that's happened to us. Yes, I completely understand. Um, So I was sexually abused from my father and then I was being very, I was exposed to violence all the time. And then when I graduated from Berkeley College of Music, which mm-hmm. I talk about it on my book I get from university. I formed a nonprofit. Oh, great school. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. I formed a nonprofit to teach music to juvenile offenders called Genia Voices. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, I did it 12 years in teaching music in the detention program. But in core, my mind was really helping maybe inner self or other people, but at the same time, really hoping that other victims would not be born by Mm -hmm. changing these youth who are already kind of going through the violence stage that if Mm -hmm. we can change through the music, maybe they wouldn't hurt people in the future. Mm -hmm. So by helping them, I was Mm -hmm. thought like amplifying um, the effect afterwards. Mm -hmm. So what you said very, reminded me of that concept of when you are in this stage helping other people actually helps you to mm-hmm. heal yes it does in fact um you know later um in, in studying uh grief and coping it's actually considered one of the um highest forms of coping of a coping mechanism is to take your feelings and channel it into charity. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Because you so, can turn it inward or you can push it outward. And when you turn it inward, usually it's pretty destructive. Um, and why, when one of the reasons why, even within medicine, whenever I met someone with an addiction, my first thought was, what are they treating themselves for? What diagnosis do they have that has not been treated so they're using alcohol or drugs to counter? That's always my first thought because people don't just aren't born alcoholics. They're not born drug addicts. And so usually it's a way of trying to cope. And so if you cope by pushing things inwards, you generally try to find substances to fix it. And if you push it outwards, often what you do is you find service to fix it. And so that's why generally it's considered a better coping mechanism to push it out and help others in the situation that, because even in helping other people, we always learn things about ourselves. And there's always someone, you may not have all the components that everyone you help has, but if one person's able to do one thing and then you learn something else from someone else and you learn, and then you put it all together, it, you know, it, 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 it's a way of healing. That is incredible. And I think um, I remember, I recall one 
story of one of the juvenile offenders who had been locked up for a really long time that we actually asked him to write a song for a pediatric um, cancer patient to heal. So usually they write this gangster rap kind of violence, but then because of its kid who was in the hospital, he had come up with this amazing lyrics and um, the song came out great. And we had a, a fundraiser and then we had a choreographer dance to his music. And he read this testimonial letters of how he felt helping other people and mm -hmm. helping this um, family. So it was very, very powerful moment. And they, they never expect this boy who, who was considered one of the most dangerous um, criminal at the time, like they didn't really realize that side of him in yeah. him. So I just appreciate that conversation so much because, you know, a lot of people suffer with substance, like you said. And then it's interesting mm -hmm. that you said it's inward and that relies on these substances. But then if you put it outward, like myself included, to mm -hmm. service, maybe yes. that is. So um, I just want you to touch a little bit more about your introduction about the um, business that you started and mm -hmm. then a little bit different than other practice, I think. So can you please tell us a little bit more in depth? Well, um, it's called Health, Wellness, and Weight Loss Centers. And what it is, I use a biopsychosocial approach to sort of treat the whole person. Um, and, and so I look at everyone, you know, biology first, you know, making sure that there's, you know, the, all the health issues that are, po that are a possibility. And then any psychological issues that are affecting their health, um, including is physical health, because a lot of physical, a lot of our psychological um, feelings manifest as pain in, in joints, in stomachs, you know, and so there's, you know, just because we can't, we don't have a test for it doesn't mean it's not real. And so I do a lot of screening, psychological screening. And then I, I, I delve a lot into people's social life. How are they interacting at work? How are they interacting with their family? Do they have friends? Are those friends supportive? Do they have, you know, uh, meaningful relationships that that uplift them as opposed to, you know, drag them down? And so I look at all of those things and then come up with a plan to help. Most people come to me for weight loss, but what they walk away from is is what I say is um, I help people lose weight, whether it's weight in pounds or it's whatever in life is weighing them down. Wow. And I look for all of it. And that's what I do. Because, um, you know, numbers on a scale don't fix anything. Weight is, is just like, I, as I mentioned, you know, addiction. Food is an addiction. Weight is often, and a lot of times people who are overweight, like I was even, um, we didn't overeat. It wasn't about food. In my case, it was stress. In other people's cases, it could be some other, you know, psychological issue. Uh, depression can make you gain weight. Even if, you know, if you have someone who's not depressed and someone who is depressed and they eat the exact same thing, the food does different things in their bodies. And so it's really important to focus on everything because if you fix one and you don't fix the others or you don't even address the others, then, then nothing works. And so I just look at everything. And so I treat the what I call the whole person, because we are a uh, we're 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 a combination of our mind, body, and spirit, 
And all those things have to be working together and also well in order for us to be well. Wow. So how long have you been having this practice of your own? Well, I've always used that approach from the time I started medical school. I learned it in med school. Um, I realized very quickly it's something my mother's often done, even though she's not in medicine. She's a teacher, but she often you know, would use that same sort of approach. And, um, and I think that's something that it, for those of us who, have, who are fortunate enough to have someone who's wise and older and wise, you will see that where they just, you know, they don't just focus on one thing. But I, I started uh, 23 years ago when I graduated from medical school, but then I started my own business six years ago in 2016, when I just found that for me to do the kind of work I needed to do, or I wanted to do, it took, takes a lot of time. And, you know, in the United States, we have insurance companies that pretty much control what doctors do, what we can and cannot do. And I just wanted a space where I didn't have to answer to insurance companies. And so I started my own, my own place where I could just, I could spend an hour with someone talking. Um, because often what I, I, I say is that it's not what people say. Sometimes it's the whispers between what they say, where the answer is. And so it takes time to sit and listen to someone that long so you can pull out, you know, what's hidden behind what they're saying. And that's um, because otherwise I'm not going to do them any good. I have to be able to find the real cause and the real cause. Sometimes we know what that cause is and we can express it. And then other times we don't know what the cause is. We just know what the pain we're feeling. And it's my job to then look behind that pain and find the cause. And sometimes, and the cause usually tells me, they tell me in their words, but they don't realize what they're saying. Would you tell us some successful testimonial? Well, I can tell you, I had uh, one woman who, who actually has agreed to tell me her story. I mean, to tell her story. She um, came to me for weight loss. And so when going through her history, she kept saying that she had panic attacks, that she was on medication for panic attacks, but the medication really didn't work that well. And so as I kept talking to her, I was like, you know, it's a kind of medication where anyone who takes it is going to feel the effects of that medication. It's sort of like if anyone drinks alcohol, they will get drunk. It was that type of medication. And so I was really surprised, like if you're having panic attacks, that medication should work. So maybe what you're having aren't panic attacks. And so um, and so she started talking more and talking more. And I thought, well, you know, first thing we need to do is make sure your heart's OK. So um, we made sure everything was OK with their heart. And then when going through her symptoms again, all of it seemed to be related to this area of her body. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, this could be just reflux. Mm -hmm. I mean, we call it heartburn for a reason. It makes us think it's our heart. But when our heart races, we think it's panic. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that she was having, she had reflux. And once her reflux was treated, her anxiety, which she never really had, went away. And so once her anxiety went away, or the, her reaction and her fear around, you know, situations went away, um, what her body did with food also changed. And so her, I never, ever 
treated her weight. Her weight, she lost weight, but only because we found the cause of what was really distressing her. And that was really coming from her stomach. It wasn't even coming from her heart or anywhere else. But she had gone years and years thinking she had a panic disorder. Wow. That is very interesting because I feel like sometimes, you know, we get diagnosed for these things. And if it doesn't work, then they will maybe diagnose with something else rather than really attacking the cause and then the why and the whole perspective of, you know, human being, not just mm -hmm. the medication part of it. And I really appreciate you doing that to help other people. So would you say that maybe sympathy or empathy that maybe led to this um, starting the company, your own business? because of maybe the adversity that you went through? Absolutely. I was terrified and I was, even as a doctor, I was overwhelmed. So I kept thinking if I know what to do and I'm overwhelmed, I can only imagine what other people are feeling. And so, and I just, it seemed like there was just too much coming at me and I didn't know where to begin. And I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna create a place where other people don't have to go through that where they walk through the door and they know they're going to be taken care of. And empathy is extremely important. Um, you know, often people are like, you know, when, when we went through med school, at the time I went through med school, there were still a lot of people who, who felt doctors shouldn't cry with their patients. I don't subscribe to that. If my patient cries, I will cry with them because I'm, I can't sit there when someone's crying and not cry also. But, and then, the other is that um, even if we don't have the exact same experiences, we still have the same feelings. They may come from different places. They may be of certain different degrees, but we all feel them. And so it's really important that when someone says they feel a certain way, that you believe them. They're telling you the truth. It's not up for argument. It's not up for debate. If someone says they feel a certain way, they feel it. And that's that. And then you go from there. And so I often, my patients cry a lot. <laughs> because um, usually it's usually because someone says, finally, I feel like someone's listening to me. And I find that that is the greatest strength. Just letting people talk and get out their stories and you know, people often ask me, well, what kind of medicine do you practice? And I say I practice family medicine, but really what it is, is more like narrative medicine. I let people tell me what their story is. I let them tell me their narrative, and then I, I act from there. And, um, and so I find that that's just very, very important. Because if people can't get their stories out, then we don't know who they are well enough to be able to treat them. That is a very different approach than most of the doctors. I would say that many. However, I have to say, and I have to give a shout out to my med school, uh, Michigan State University College of Human Medicine is very much entrenched in treating the whole person and really listening. We have, we have a whole class 
on just how to listen to patients. Wow. That was it. That, the whole class. That's all it was. How to ask the right questions, how to listen so that you get the answer you need to, to then help them. And that was a whole class just on that only. Wow. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this wealth of information and starting this business to help other people. Um, it's just fascinating to hear you going through all this adversity. Yeah. You didn't give up on your dream and your path. And then, um, now helping so many people with your knowledge and then compassion. Well, thank you also for giving a voice to those of us who are trying to do, you know, take our stories and take our, our experiences and turn them into something that's good and to help other people. Because I, I feel like too often the negative is amplified and not the positive. And so just what you're doing is very helpful and letting people amplify that message. Well, that means so much to me, Dr. Timo. And then uh, my last question I have is a mm -hmm. gift. So what do you think a gift that came from your own adversity? A gift was, it has taught me what's really important. I have a calm and people often tell me, it's like, you're just so calm, even in advert, you know, when things are happening and everyone's, and there's chaos, you just seem so calm. And because I, one, I can't react because of my heart. If I start to get riled up, my heart will react and I can't do that. But the other is that you really learn very quickly what's really, really important. And, and, and my feeling is always, if in that moment, there's no risk of someone dying at that moment, then there's no reason for me to get get excited. And that's essentially how I see. So when, you know, my, my, my daughters always say, you know, they often tell me, thank you for not reacting. That was, I get that a lot from my daughters. Um, they'll tell me something and they think they're in trouble or they think something's wrong. And I was like, okay, well, we can, we can work with that. We can fix it. And they're like, thank you for not reacting. Or not getting angry. And I was like, there's too many other things that are important. You know, if, if it's a thing, you know, if, 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 you know, um, you know, if my, if I have an accident in a car, I'm not worried about the car, I'm worried about the people in the car. And so, you know, so I'm never, it's never about things. It's always about people and, and about making sure that people aren't harmed. And then once that's been established, then we can fix all the rest. But, as, but with people, you can't replace people. You can replace everything else. And that's what I've learned. And how do you say that gift that you learned from adversity that you're applying in everyday life? Um, I, I always say I'm sort of like a walking serenity prayer. I accept the things I can change. You know, I, I, I mean, I accept the things I can't change. I change the things that I can. And I feel like I have the wisdom to know the difference. And so that is the gift. That's I, I wasn't always that way. Um, something my brother once said to me after my accident in, in 1988, he said, you're so much nicer. <laughs> I said, 
<laughs> because I wasn't, I don't think I was a very nice person. Everything, I was always rushing. Everything had to be done this way. And, every, you know, I was just very intense. And after that, I just wasn't intense anymore. Um, and, and, and even now, of course, well, now I'm, I'm, you know, 57 years old. So, I mean, over time, you just kind of learn there's, you know, you know, even if I were younger and I thought things were important over time, you sort of learn what's really, really important. And, um, you know, and so hopefully you're just, you know, older, wiser and can, and, and I do appreciate, and I think my, my absolute gift is being able to recognize the lesson in most things that happen and being able to take those things that even though they were difficult and, but I still see the lesson in them. And so that helps because when you know that there's a lesson, it changes the narrative of what happened. And that's really, I would say, is the best gift that I've received from the things that have happened to me in my life. That is absolutely beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate your time and sharing your story tonight. And Dr. Tumor, I um, really appreciate you sharing your time and sharing your authentic story in itself and then a gift and tools. And I hope the audience got some inspiration from her story. Well, thank you very much for coming. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you everyone again for tuning into A Gift from Adversity. We have a great guest coming up. Please stay tuned and have a wonderful night.